from the Times of Northwest Indiana and nwi.com slash podcasts. You're listening to Byline. The podcast about the newspaper's most fascinating stories and the reporters who tell them. I'm Kale Wilk, and this time Byline examines a gruesome child abuse case that shocked investigators. We'll talk with the detective assigned to the case. The kid's life was just a disaster from day one. You know, I feel so bad that every day of his life just sucked. And we'll talk with the reporter tasked with telling the story. And so if we don't take steps toward, you know, talking about these things, these crimes, and their impact on the community, then it's like they never happened. It was awful, just terrible, you know, just to see him, and it was just like, ugh. The person you're hearing is Michelle Dvorak. She's a sergeant detective with the Lake County Sheriff's Department, and she's recalling details about one of, if not the, biggest cases that stuck with her during her law enforcement career. It involved the gruesome captivity and murder of a child and left Northwest Indiana shaken up. You know, I was just hoping, like, maybe they buried a dog under there or something and this is all a big joke or, you know, this really wasn't real. But no, it was him. The minute we exhumed the hole enough to where we could bring the garbage bag back, I was like, yep, that's him. Olivia Hearsink, who you've probably heard before here on this podcast, is the reporter who composed the story to review this case in the latest Crimes That Rock the Region story, which you can read in today's print edition. So in May 2011, Lake County investigators um, were tipped off about a body underneath a storage shed in Gary. And so they went out there and they found a Rubbermaid container underneath the flooring. And inside that container was a 13-year-old boy, and his name was Christian Chope. And he had been wrapped up in garbage bags and a blanket, and there was a layer of lime and cement over him, as well as a cross and a Bible. It launched this huge investigation that revealed this just this terrible history of abuse, neglect, and intimidation, you know, by those who were, you know, tasked with protecting him, his family. As a 25-year-old, It's chilling to read about this. In May 2011, I was finishing up my junior year at Munster High School. Olivia was a freshman in her own school in Idaho. The details of Christian's story surfaced within this decade. And had he not been subject to the torture he endured, he would have turned 25 last week on December 27th. Yeah, this just seems like something that you would find in a movie. It's really, really... um, kind of those true crimes, you know, just horrendous things that you can't turn your eyes away from. Um, But this is actually true. You know, it's right in front of you. And it's just crazy that um, I think there were so many chances for people to kind of intervene because they were um, involved in so many DCS investigations. And, I mean, they were either not substantiated or they were, but nothing was done. And so it's just, it's heartbreaking to see that there were so many times when they could have just, you know, that could have been the moment when they intervened and, you know, this kid could still be here. He could be reaching his 25th birthday. As Olivia noted before, this whole investigation started with a tip. 
with that, we'll return to Michelle. I remember this thing, it was like May 1st of 2011, I think, was the day I got called about it. It was at night, and um, I remember I was exhausted, and I was just like laying on the couch because I was training for a marathon, and I had run like 17 miles that day or something, and I was like, I'm going to take a shower and like go to sleep. And um, Matt Eaton, who was our commander at the time, called me at like, it was like 8 or 9 p.m. at night. And he's like, hey, I really, I need to ask you a favor. He said, I, I know you're not on call, but we need, a, we need somebody to come out here and talk to this female um, because she might have been involved in um, perpetrating a murder. And I was like, I just ran 17 miles, Matt. I'm exhausted. <laughs> but I said, okay, I'll, I'll come out there. So I met... Um, Commander Eaton and a couple of the other detectives over at a mobile home park. This woman she's talking about was Kimberly Kubina, the wife of Riley Choate. Both of them had outstanding warrants at the time, so police were able to arrest them. And uh, when the subject of Christian Choate came up, she just freaked out and, you know, she's like, I want a lawyer. So that was kind of a red flag. Uh, When we got enough information and presented it to uh, Kimberly and Riley. Um, Riley went out to the mobile home park with us. Uh, We had gotten cadaver dogs out there um, and he had confirmed where Christian had been buried. With a roadblock there, at least for the time being, Michelle and others would begin an investigation into the circumstances surrounding the murder of Christian Choate. In her role at the Lake County Sheriff's Department, Michelle is a trained forensic child interviewer. Her work in this case involved interviewing family members, several of them children, involved in Christian's life. Basically what they do is they train you to interview children from, you know, as long, as young as how they can, you know, barely speak to, um, you know, when they're like in high school. They teach you how to interview a kid without leading them somewhere. You know, like without putting, like, because kids always want to, you know, make you happy. So they want to agree with what you say. So you don't give them that opportunity. You always tell them, you know, don't give them the answer. Have them, you know, tell you the answer. Um, You know, it's like you you don't use leading questions like, Bob's a real idiot, isn't he? Instead, you would say, like, tell me about Bob. You know, what is Bob like? Or what does Bob do for you? Or... You know, so it's a, a way of interviewing that's, it's, it's done for the prosecutors. It's um, not biased, and it's just objective. And a lot of these kids are, they're victims and they're, um, or witnesses. A lot of them have witnessed um, violent crime. A lot of times you're interviewing them about a family member, you know, so it's, you have to remain objective, but try and get information that sometimes they feel guilty about giving you. You know, they don't want to throw mom under the bus or Uncle Bob, you know, or the neighbor Jim. I mean, you can go in and a suspect and just tell them anything. Like, we have your DNA and, um, you know, you better tell us what happened and, you know, whatever. But with kids, you know, you, you can't you can't play on that guilt or, you know, you have to just keep asking the right questions 
and make them feel comfortable with you. So she and others made several trips to Christian County, Kentucky, where several of the kids belonging to Cabina and Choate lived. Christian County is also where their story begins. Riley and Kimberly were married there in 1999. Riley's son, Christian, came from a previous relationship with Amy Eriks. Christian was born in 1995, but Riley and Amy separated shortly after the birth. Riley, who was originally from Northwest Indiana, returned to Merrillville with Kimberly following their marriage. They would live in a house there, and then eventually a mobile home in Gary. Their supervision of children proved troubling. I mean, I don't want to throw DCS under their bus. They're a, you know, we really work great together with them 99% of the time, but I think they've, in this case, he, he was failed by them also. You know, um, I think multiple people called about, you know, they hadn't seen Christian for a while. Where's he been? His mother, his biological mother, was trying to find out through DCS, you know, what's going on, can I get visitation? It was just a, a, a hot mess, the whole thing. Like it just, everything bad that could happen to this kid happened to this kid. The Department of Child Services investigated eight different claims made against Chope family members regarding allegations of physical and sexual abuse, molestation, and education and medical neglect. Before Christian came under sole custody of Riley, he was with Amy and her subsequent boyfriend. Claims were made against the two that they were molesting Christian and two other children. Investigators only substantiated neglect and lack of supervision claims against Eric's. Even more strange, Riley was a convicted felon with a criminal history that dated back to 1980 with battery charges. DCS records are unclear why he was awarded custody. You know, he even, he went to a, one of the doctors he went to. She asked him, how did you get those bruises? And, you know, he kind of alluded to the fact that, you know, things happen with my stepfather. And she never reported it. You know, it just everybody who, the, the red flags were there and nobody paid attention to them. I, I can't even think of the number of people that had they pursued it a little further, you know, maybe this baby would still be alive. The domestic situation was a mess. While the other children were able to go about their lives, Christian was beaten, abused, and kept in a dog cage. He was monitored not only with his actions, words, or even utterances, but what he was allowed to eat. He was made into an example. We used to just go in there in the interview room sometimes and just you just had to cry because... You know, here's this poor kid. He had a little, his little, like, diary kind of thing. Like, he had a workbook that he was supposed to be homeschooled with. And and Kimberly would make him write these horrible letters, these horrible letters, admitting stuff that I'm sure he didn't even do, but that he was like, well, I was told to write this, so I'm going to write this. I mean, it was just awful. The kid's life was just a disaster from day one. You know, I feel so bad that every day of his life just sucked. You know, he never had Christmas, he, Thanksgiving, if he got ramen noodles on Thanksgiving, that was a big thing for him, you know. It's, it's sad when, you know, there's a kitchen full of food in your mobile home, but you're not allowed to eat it, you know. And he, the other kids couldn't give him food because then they would get beaten. Christian's older sister, 
Christina, was enlisted by Riley and Kimberly to assist in his monitoring and beating. She was like the main caretaker. I, I, I don't, that's like not a word you would use in this situation. Jailer or, you know, I don't know what you would call it. But she, she, was, she was forced to take part um, because that was the objective of the mission was to keep him, you know, under wraps, keep him starved and make sure he didn't escape. You know, so that was her job. You know, because to them, that was just how they lived, you know. Christian was kept in a cage, and he got beat all the time, and, he, you know, you can't feed Christian. If he escapes, you have to tell so-and-so so she can call, you know, uh, Riley or, or Kimberly so that he can't run away and tell somebody what's happening. So it was just horrible. But the kids, you know, they're young kids. They're like, well, I guess this is how everybody lives, maybe. You know, which was really sad. Finally, there reached a boiling point for Christian. Already severely weakened, after refusing to eat one day, Riley, enraged, punched Christian in the face several times before throwing him back in the dog cage. Christina would later find that Christian wasn't breathing. Panic set in, and Riley took Christian and buried him under the shed at his grandmother's home, across the street from their mobile home. They, uh put him in a Rubbermaid container and took him over to their old grandmother's trailer. And then soon after that, uh, Riley pried up the floor in grandma's shed and dug a, dug a hole. It was like you know, a couple feet deep. And um, you know, Kimberly and her sister went to Menards to buy some lime so they bought some lime. They put Christian in a garbage bag with a Bible and a little cross on him, buried him in that um, the hole, covered him with lime, and then put the floor back on the shed. But the thing is, the um, the ground was like wet, cold clay, and it never he never like really decomposed. Basically, what happens is if you die and you decompose in like a wet kind of cold uh, um, environment, you don't really, you know, you decompose, you just kind of, like the fat, it, it's this really long involved process, but the fat kind of comes out, but you're, you're well preserved, and he was really well preserved. Christian would stay preserved under that shed for two years. In that time, the Choate family moved back to Christian County, Kentucky. Christina was threatened to keep quiet about Christian's death. Riley and Kimberly would split, and Riley returned to Northwest Indiana and found a new girlfriend. With some distance between any possible threats, Christina felt she could reach out to Amy Eriks about Christian's death. The tip was passed on to police, and Michelle and others became involved. After interviewing Riley and Kimberly, Riley finally gave in and offered to take investigators to the shed. Yeah, I helped unbury him. Um, it was very sad because, you know, he was, what, 13 years old, I think. And he was tiny. Like, when we went to the autopsy, it was, like, unbelievable the, how small he was because he was so malnutritioned. He was, like, the size of a five-year-old. He was wearing, like, five-year-old's clothes. I mean, he was so, it was just horrible. And he was very well-preserved, and you could just tell he had bruises everywhere, like 
everywhere. Every inch of his body was a bruise. And um, he was wearing diapers at the time too, so. I was livid. I think everybody on the scene was because Riley um, was, he was in the backyard and he was smoking cigarettes and laughing like with some a neighbor that came by or, or you know our officers were talking to him not a care in the world like we're digging up your kid and you're smoking a cigarette and having a laugh party back there i had to go take a walk cuz i had a shovel in my hand and i thought i would just love to come and like conk you on the head with it it was very just disturbing to see somebody who's you know we told him like because I had asked him when we, when we dig Christian up, when we exhume him, is there anything that you put in there that is gonna like a hazardous material that we need to worry about? And he was like, just lime. Um, and then he just went back to smoking and laughing and telling jokes with everybody. And I'm like, oh my god, you know. Christian was only 28 pounds after being exhumed. He had died from a combination of physical trauma poor health, and malnourishment. Riley and Kimberly were both arrested. As Michelle and other investigators compiled their case against them, it bothered her how little remorse they showed. We see horrible all day long, every single day, you know, but this was like the pinnacle of horrible. Just, and and just interacting with Kimberly and Riley and seeing how little like sympathy or empathy they had for, you know, a kid who was dead at their hands. I mean, I've not seen that since. And I've seen a lot, I've, you know, interviewed a lot of people who are terrible people, but, you know, it was just horrible, awful. You know, they didn't care. It was inconveniencing them and that was the, the most important part to them. I was really hoping it would go to trial. I did. I like could not wait to get on the stand and tell a jury about, you know, I had listened to their phone calls for a year, every single day, every single phone call, and never did anybody break down and say, you know, oh my God, you know, I can't believe I did this, or I need to ask Jesus for forgiveness. Nothing. They talked about. You know, they were planning a wedding and, you know, Riley was talking to his girlfriend about a wedding. And I mean, it was just like, it was just, it was like surreal that nobody ever said, you know, there's an elephant in the room. Should we address it? You, You killed your kid. Nope. Riley and Kimberly eventually would plead guilty and their case never went to trial. Riley was sentenced to 80 years in prison and Kimberly was sentenced to 25 to 35 years. They wanted, they kept saying in their phone calls, oh, we're going to trial, this is BS, you know, like everybody who's guilty and is pretending not to be does. But I, you know, their, uh, their attorney, I think, well, their attorneys, they both had a separate one, you know, made them see the light, like if you, this is bad enough, but if you can try and explain yourself to a jury, nobody's going to give you any sympathy. So this was probably the best outcome for everybody, except Christian, of course, you know. Riley is currently at the penitentiary in Pendleton, Indiana. The earliest he could be released is 2051. 
Kimberly is at the Indiana Women's Prison in Indianapolis. Her earliest release could be 2026. Christian is buried in Ridgeland Cemetery in Calumet Township. Well, I just think that, you know, if we don't take the time to tell stories that have already occurred, we forget them. And it's the whole um, quote of, you know, if you don't pay attention to history, it's doomed to repeat itself. And so if we don't take steps toward, you know, talking about these things, these crimes and their impact on the community, then it's like they never happened. And you don't want... I mean, we're covering some pretty heinous things that have happened, and you don't want, you know, those people to have died in vain, so to speak. And so by talking about them is also a way to give their, you know, stories a chance to live on. You know, I mean, he was only 13, but people are still talking about it, and this is a way to kind of reignite that conversation, you know, long after he's died. That was the first time I ever saw cadaver dogs work was in this case. And... Um, Maybe three or four years later, we were looking for a murder victim, and um, I, I used cadaver dogs and started, I got a dog from the shelter and started doing cadaver work with her, so now she's certified. But um, every handler usually has a trigger word, like go find Jimmy Hoffa or find you know King Tut or whatever, and my trigger word is Christian. Because I was like, you know, that, that was, um, you know, he, he really did affect me. Sorry. <laughs> Byline is a production of the Times of Northwest Indiana. You can find all of our episodes at nwi.com slash digital slash audio. Reporting for this episode came from Olivia Hearsink. We'd like to thank Michelle Dvorak for providing various comments for this story. If you have suggestions for an episode topic or want to share your thoughts, drop an email to kale.wilk at nwi.com. I'm Kale Wilk, and from the Times of Northwest Indiana, thank you for listening. See you next time.